0: Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of Orange Fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the Central New York airwaves. It's Fizz Radio.
1: It's Fizz Radio on the score 1260, Ian Unsworth and John Eads, Here to preview Syracuse Rutgers, talk a bit of recruiting, we've also got a special guest, our very own Matt Bonaparte, sat down with someone who knows Rutgers pretty darn well to get an inside scoop as to what to expect from the Scarlet Knights. Of course, you can always check out all of our content on OrangeFizz.net. Also, peep us on Twitter at OrangeFizz. John, before we get into this Rutgers game, there's a lot to talk about, but what did you think about Syracuse's performance at Ohio last weekend?
2: It was a performance. It's everything that you and I talked about one week ago on this day at this time. Everything that we expected to play out the way it should have played out did happen. Syracuse came out and beat a far inferior max squad in Ohio. We try to tell you guys, the team is not as good as everybody is hyping them up to be. And that was on full display last Saturday when Syracuse pulled out that 20-point victory. And I'm really excited for this weekend's game, Ian, because we're going to get a much better idea of how good this team actually is against a respectable Big Ten opponent in Rutgers. By the way, Rutgers is a good team. So if you think they're bad because they have been bad the past couple years and a bottom feeder in the Big Ten, we'll get into this a little bit more. They're not. They're a good team.
1: Rutgers put up 61 points last weekend against Temple, and Temple is picked to finish last in the AAC ACC, AAC I know that's a, that's a mouthful the AAC American Athletic Conference but Temple is bad they are very very bad but 61 points is nothing to scoff at if you're Syracuse that film I think is very revealing because Temple runs the 335 so does Syracuse at a much better clip let's put it that way
2: yeah you and I looked at that film the 335 three men down front on that film and they they just absolutely ate it alive so it'll be nice for Tony White and the Syracuse defense to get a look at what went wrong for the Owls and to see what could improve this week. It's a very RPO-heavy offense, a lot of run-pass option, a lot of read option, quarterback Noah Vegrell, a dual-threat talent, playmakers all over the field. We'll get into a few more of those guys in a couple of minutes here. It's a dangerous squad that has all the pieces to be competitive in the Big Ten East.
1: And their offense, just like Syracuse, extremely fast. Sean Gleason's their offensive coordinator. He came from Oklahoma State where... As we know, the Big 12 plays no defense, and it's all about who can score the most points. So, Sean Gleason's just caring about getting the Cowboys up and down the field. He brings that same mentality to Rutgers. It's a lot of tempo in the offense. That's something that kept Temple off balance last week on the defensive side of the football, and Syracuse, hopefully they're ready for it because they play against the same sort of style in practice, but tempo is going to be a test. Luckily, they're in a... Temperature-controlled unit, the dome with fans.
2: Right. Yep. First time in 650 days that fans will be back in the Carrier Dome. I'll be in the stadium for that one. It's gonna be bumping. It's gonna be absolutely rocking. I haven't been to a game with fans in the dome since I think Pittsburgh in 2019. It's always a rowdy environment, and even more so now, especially with an old Big East foe coming to town. The nostalgia that's gonna be engulfing Ernie Davis Legends Field is gonna be great. But you mentioned Shaw Gleason. The offense they run, spectacular, similar similar to what Syracuse does, but they do it a whole lot cleaner. I I think we can agree on that. Things are changing this year, perhaps, though. On the defensive side, Greg Shiano, is also the head coach. He really instills that tough mentality that Rutgers plays with an every down. You're going to hear the word chop a lot if you're watching the game on television from the color analysts and the play-by-play guys. You know, they they like to storytell. So it's a great defense. The front seven is going to be a whole lot better than Ohio's was last week, so Sean Tucker may not be able to run as wild. But Syracuse needs them to get going if they want to win.
1: I think Sean Tucker still has a chance to really eat up some ground in this football game. Not just because the offensive line is much improved, or at least what we saw in week one, much improved from a year ago. But also, he is he's just a determined runner. He doesn't go down on first contact, and that works against anybody. Against Clemson, against Notre Dame. And, yes, Rutgers is not at the level of those two programs. So even if last year Syracuse's offensive line comes in and looks like cheese with extra holes in it, a little Swiss straight off the deli, I think Tucker's still going to have a good game because he just does not go down easily.
2: And I'd say the strength of that offensive line you mentioned is actually run blocking, even though SC only allowed one sack Last week against the Bobcats, they looked really good on the ground, as did Sean Tucker. And like you said, he's really got those individual abilities and characteristics to even make it more successful. His ability to break tackles, bounce outside, use his vision and cut. It's going to its gonna be there every single game that he comes to play. It'll be there against Rutgers and Syracuse is going to need all of it if they want to win. Okay,
1: so let's get into Rutgers. First and foremost, they have this defensive end, since we're kind of talking about the run game. His last name's Fatakasi. I'm not what, going to take
2: like a stab at the first name. No, something?
1: I don't. Okay. Do you? Nope.
2: New York native though, so throw that in there.
1: Okay. Well, this guy Fatakasi is legit. And he com- he can get off the edge at any time and really takes advantage of any sort of mistakes, whether that's a lapse in protection or maybe DeVito fumbles a snap or something happens, is gonna be in the backfield. We're sorry we don't have his first name on deck, but honestly, probably safer that neither of us attempt
2: it. Just I'll, to not I'll, I'll butcher. go for it. I'll go, go for, for it. it. Here we go. Ola Kunle Fatakasi. Let's go with that.
1: Ola Kunle Fatakasi. That's right. We're going. There with that. you have it. Um, guy's but, a
2: stud, though. He's an absolute stud.
1: He's, he, is, he is really good. He was all over the place last weekend. Um, I mean, honestly, there's not much to talk about in terms of Rutgers secondary. It's experienced... Guys like Christian Izian back there who have played a lot of games, but not necessarily played a lot of games well, I would say.
2: Yeah, no, I think the strength of this defense is definitely in the front seven along the defensive line and in the linebacker positions. The secondary is good enough. And like I said before, the entire defense plays hard and plays fast every down. So even though there's some unproven, unexperienced guys back there, Shiano's not going to have him in the game if they're not giving 100% out there. That's obviously a little bit of coach speak, but... You could just expect a tougher matchup for Taj Harris, Anthony Queeley, and Sherrod Johnson or whoever else is the third wide receiver out there. And really, it's a passing attack that needs to get going for Syracuse. And this could be a good spot to do it because, like you said, not a lot of studs in that back half. So perhaps Syracuse tests Rutgers defensive back defensive backs in the secondary deep, trying to get Taj Harris going a little bit more this week after just 92 passing yards as a team in the last matchup.
1: I was okay with what Syracuse did passing-wise, if we're being completely honest. I like the short throws. I like the quick decisions. Don't make Tommy DeVito think too much. That has to be Sterling Gilbert's focus going forward into this season. Let him grow back into the role as starting quarterback. And eventually, once he feels comfortable in the pocket, if his offensive line continues to hold, then you start chucking the ball down the field. And yes, he made that one beautiful deep throw that Taj Harris had hit off his hands. I mean, you can't drop that football. But if DeVito can get comfortable in the pocket, continue to grow and feel comfortable, then you start to move deeper and deeper down the field.
2: And the offense, I think, is going to need to get going because on the other side, the Scarlet Knights have a whole lot of talent and it starts at the quarterback position. Noah Vedrill, I think one of the more underrated quarterbacks in the Big Ten. Last year, not the best season, but his best season as an individual performer, Had 10 total touchdowns, 9 through the air, 1 on the ground, 8 interceptions, a couple of 3 interception games, which obviously you can't have. But he's a dual threat talent that I think is pretty savvy and slippery. Reminds me a lot of Peyton Ramsey, except I think he throws the ball a little bit better than he does. Ramsey, of course, Indiana quarterback, Northwestern quarterback. May have seen him in the Big Ten Championship last season. And on the outside, L.A. didn't get into the receivers, but in the backfield, a whole lot of talent there as well. Isaiah Pacheco, another underrated running back. I think, in the Big Ten. He's speedy. He's slippery. Reminds me a lot of Raheem Blackshear, who, if you were watching the North Carolina-Virginia Tech game, you saw him in the Hokies uniform. He's a former Rutgers Scarlet Knight as well. You also got Aaron Young back there, who's a guy that Rutgers likes to go to in short yardage situations. He's pretty much like uh, Aaron Jones, I'd say. The Green Bay Packers running back. A a poor man's Aaron Jones, I would say. So, uh, Vegel, a solid Quarterback, dual threat talent that'll give Syracuse some fits in the RPO and the read option game, and then two good backs as well to help in that running game.
1: Vegel will be thrown to mainly two guys. The first, Bo Melton, is a very solid outside receiver. Six catches for 59 yards a week ago, and also a touchdown. I mean, I'd say he's your prototypical stock outside receiver. Not
2: possession receiver.
1: Yeah, not super fast. Not going to burn you down the field, but. He'll get open, and he'll get his targets. But the guy you really have to watch out for is Aaron Cruikshank, who is potentially the most dangerous kick returner in the Big Ten, a guy that began his career at Wisconsin. He's actually from Brooklyn, went to Erasmus Hall High School in the city, but he is an absolute beast in the return game. He had 206 all-purpose yards last weekend, uh, over two-thirds of those came in the return game, but they'll line him up anywhere. He's a gadget player. They put him in all different types of formations. He can be in the slot, on the outside, in the backfield. They'll put him in motion all over the place. But the you older fans might remember Percy Harvin. Remember back at Florida with Urban Meyer? That's who I think Aaron Cruikshank reminds me of because if he starts running around the football field, you have to To watch him. He's got 4 340 speed and he will burn you anywhere on the football field.
2: Led the nation in kickoff return touchdowns last season. Now he's also a punt returner this year, had 55 return yards on just two attempts last game, which is best in the Big Ten. I know it's early, but that's best in the Big Ten for now. So I think the big thing is negating his ability to impact the game in the special teams. So for Andre Schmidt or whoever the kickoff guy is this week, if they change it up, I don't think they will. Touchbacks. Every time you need him, force fair catches, touchbacks. And the same goes for punting. James Williams was spectacular last week. A couple of punts down inside the 20. Even the five, I think. One led to a Syracuse safety. You got to have more of that this week. Force some fair catches. Get that hang time up. Use the dome to your advantage. Little Presley Harvin style, the old Georgia Tech punter. One other guy I want to throw out there that you'll probably see, especially in the red zone, Johnny Langan. He's a quarterback quarterback. Wide receiver, and he's also a running back. Technically, you'll see him in the short yardage situations inside the five yard line when Rutgers wants to punch the ball in with a touchdown. He's a tall, skinny wide receiver, and hopefully Syracuse can stuff him and you know make make some uh, force some field goals. Ben, don't break defense in the red zone just like last week.
1: He's like their wildcat QB, and I think that's the most accurate comparison. But overall, I'd say my key to this game is getting Sean Tucker going. Syracuse needs to continue to pound the rock and stay with that run game so Tommy DeVito doesn't have to do too much. And if Tucker, I don't expect him to get 180 yards again, but if he can get somewhere close to that hundo mark, I think Syracuse is really going to be in the driver's seat of this football game for extended periods of time. Keep the Rutgers offense off the field, chew the clock, make the defense work, sweat in the loud house with the fans absolutely on their feet and a Tucker run of even a first down Tucker run is going to bring massive cheers and that's something that's going to pump the Syracuse sideline up over and over
2: and we'll see if that makes a difference definitely Sean Tucker gonna have to bring his a game for Syracuse on Saturday let's take uh, excuse me later today let's take a look at the lines
1: wait what's your key Jeez? it was my key my key was a special team was Crookshank okay
2: as long as Aaron Crookshank isn't a factor in special teams. There's only so much you can do when he catches the football. The catch Absolutely, is a great player. He's going to make plays. You mentioned uh, Percy Harvin, pretty much the same player. So he's going to make his plays. He's going to get his. But if you negate his ability to impact the game in special teams, I think you're good if you're Syracuse. Let's take a look at the lines real quick, and we'll discuss those. Last week we split it. So I had, I had, what I had the. Uh, we
1: both had Syracuse covering, yep. but I had the under. You had the over. Right. The under hit.
2: So you won two points. I had one. That we're yeah, doing we're,
1: we're doing a point system from now on. If you're listening to this on the FizzCast or Fizz Radio, if you tune into the FizzCast every week, we'll break down the lines. We might give you a player prop this week, too, if we're feeling frisky. But, uh, yeah, we're keeping track point-wise, and chances are whoever wins at the end of the year is going to get a little celebratory lap around Fizz Twitter.
2: Oh, boy. Oh, boy. So, yeah, make your decision now on who you trust more. But 2-1, Ian's got the lead here early. See if I can come back and take the lead. This one we're looking at. For this week's uh today's contest, I should say. So Syracuse, a two point underdog, just like last week against Ohio. Money line plus one ten for the Orange, minus one thirty for Rutgers. So pretty good value on both sides. Over under set at fifty one and a half. There's also a fifty two on action network, Ian said. So it really depends on where you look, how you lean in this week, partner.
1: Well, I'm gonna start with the the total. I'm taking the over. I think both of these teams are going to try to bust it up and down the field and 52 points, 25, 26, 27. I have this game becoming really close, and it's going to end up in that high 20, early 30 area, so that's why I'm taking the over. As for the points, this is really tough because I think Rutgers is going to win by a scale of 1 to 3, and that's too, too close. If that line drops down to minus 1.5, minus 1, Ooh, I think you I think you might have to hit it for Rutgers. So, I'll take the Scarlet Knights on the points and I'll take the over.
2: Okay. Interesting. Interesting. I am going to flip there. I'm taking the under. Barely. Barely. 1 point under the We'll get into our predictions at the end of Fizz Radio here and if you're listening to the preview podcast, you could find our predictions at There we go.net or listen to Fizz Radio on the Score 126. You catch it on SoundCloud as well. Just look up Orange Fizz in the search bar. I'm going with the under, 51 total points between the two teams. i get into my score prediction later, and I'm taking Rutgers with the points. So there you have it. We're both siding with Rutgers,
1: unfortunately, but we both think it's going to be a neck-and-neck neck ball game. I've got the over, John has the under, and overall this is going to be probably one of the most exciting football games Syracuse fans have seen in the last three years. But it's also got some broader implications There are a lot of things to touch on when it comes to Syracuse and Rutgers, two Titans of the Northeast. So we'll get those and also talk a little basketball recruiting on the other side of the break. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Fizz Radio. We're back on Fizz Radio, Ian Unsworth, John Eads with you on the Score 1260, taking you up until 10 a.m. here talking Syracuse football against Rutgers coming up later today at 2 p.m. at the Dome. But there are larger implications to this football game. And the first one, the most important one that we have to talk about because that's what we do on OrangeFizz.net also at Orange Fizz on Twitter. We talk a lot about Syracuse and what's going on in the 315, but also recruiting. The biggest, baddest, gnarliest topic in all of college sports. There's now the NIL factor sprinkled in. Everything's flipped on its head when it comes to getting high schoolers into your program. This game has a lot of different guys from New York. New Jersey and the surrounding Northeast areas tuning in because these are two programs that recruit this area extremely hard.
2: Before I get into that, what are the three factors that you care most about in recruiting? Well, That's it's funny. four. It's
1: four words because unfortunately I couldn't combine it into a, I couldn't combine the last one into a, into a phrase. But here I'll break it down. So four words, time. How much playing time are you giving me? That's the first thing every high schooler wants to know. When a college coach comes to talk to him, can I get on the field my freshman year? Because if not, they're probably hitting another T word because these are all sort of T frame. They're going from time. If you don't get playing time, you're hitting the portal, the transfer portal. So you need playing. You need to almost promise now playing time early on for recruits. Second thing, tradition. What have you done in the past couple of years? That's the most important thing, honestly, now in the social media age. But more importantly, what does your program have In terms of national stock, are you going to be on TV because you were great in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s? Is your program struggling to get back to an elite level like a Texas per se? Or are you on the rise because of great things you've done in the past couple of years? Um, who who, Who really fits that bill? I would say maybe Indiana really fits that bill. UCF. UCF, exactly. So it's all about how much juice your program has coming into the year, and if you churn out a great season, people want to play for you. And last but not least, with the NIL era, the bag. So we've got time, tradition, the bag. People want money now because you can make money. You get the NIL stuff, you get the sponsorship deals, and There are going to be a lot of opportunities pitched to high schoolers. People say it's not supposed to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Jalen Duran and Imani Bates didn't just go to Memphis. I'm making basketball references here. I'm sorry, guys. But the top two recruits in the class of 2022 for hooping didn't just go to Memphis because they wanted to play for Penny Hardaway. There was some money involved. And that's FedEx money. It's all, it's all legal technically. But regardless, NIL is a real deal thing when it comes to recruiting pitches. But I digress. Let's sort of dial it back in here. New Jersey, New York, Syracuse, Rutgers. Th- these are where a lot of great players come from, especially the Garden State.
2: Yeah, the Northeast is a great recruiting battleground for all the programs Well, in the Northeast. West Virginia, Penn State. Syracuse, Rutgers, and so many more teams compete for these guys every single season. But zooming it in even more just to Syracuse and Rutgers and the Empire State and the Garden State, a whole lot of talent has transferred between these two schools. And I think really it's Syracuse that's been getting the upper hand in the Garden State, stealing that talent over the past couple years, although that's now changing because Shiano's back and he's putting that state on just absolute lockdown. I wish Syracuse would do that in its own state of New York. But some of the guys that Syracuse has plucked from New Jersey over the years that are now... Big contributors on this football team in 2021. Let's start with Tommy DeVito. Had a Syracuse offer, four star quarterback back in the 2017 class, one of two New Jersey recruits from that state. The other guy flamed out, played here for like one or two seasons, and I don't know what he's doing now. But DeVito's here, he's the starting quarterback. Move up one year to 2018. Only one guy out of the state of New Jersey, but that was Tosh Harris. So he holds the weight of like three or four recruits from that state. He has a chance to become Syracuse's all time leader in career receiving yards. He already passed Marvin Harrison. For career receptions, he's moving up the board catch-by-catch. He also had a Rutgers offer. And then in 2019, two more prospects from New Jersey. Darius Tisdale was one of them. Had an offer from uh, Rutgers. Of course, he went the community college route and Syracuse, scooped him up. He's actually cousins with Dante Strickland, which is interesting. Mm. I'm going to plug that fun fact as much as I can, whenever I can, when I see the name Darius Tisdale. 2020 and 2021. So, 2020's group, not a whole lot of flash yet. You got Trevor Pena. You may know who that is. A speedy playmaker. The kickoff guy. guy. Kickoff guy, exactly. Leon Lowry is a linebacker. He's in the 2 deep at a couple different positions. I actually had a class with him last year, which is pretty cool. Uh, But he's a guy that will probably get some playing time. If not this season, he'll get more next season. And then this year, of course, Deuce Chestnut out of Camden, New Jersey. How about that? The one and only New Jersey recruit in the 2021 class. The top recruit in Syracuse's class. He's not playing on Rutgers' team. He's playing for Syracuse. And we talked earlier about how weak the the Rutgers secondary appears to be. Well, this might be why. I think he was a lock for Rutgers early on in his recruitment, but things flipped, things changed. And then two summers ago, of course, he commits to Syracuse, and he's already balling out after just one collegiate game.
1: You have to give it to Shiano, though, because last I checked, Rutgers had seven commits from the top 20 in New Jersey. And Shiano is still locking down that state, and on the New York side of
2: things... It is the only college team in New Jersey. I just want to throw that out
1: there. Yes, very fair, but on on the New York side of things, there were only 17 players that made the 24-7 sports. Uh, They didn't have a top 20. They had a top 17, and the last guy on there was a two-star going to Army. So, I hate to say it, but there's not a ton of elite football talent in New York, and when we're looking at it, it's either coming from Erasmus Hall, like Aaron Crookshanks, or from Christ the King Regional. And a lot of those dudes, if you're if you're a four-star or five-star, you can get out of New York. You can yeah. go play wherever you want. And on the New Jersey side of things, they probably have about five or six powerhouse football schools, not just public schools that have built great reputations. They have private schools. They've got the Don Boscos, the Bergen Catholics. Schools that are really making national recruiting headlines because they are chock full of
2: collegiate prospects. And they've had it for years and years. I think of Rashawn Gary, Jarrell Peppers, two Michigan Wolverines. I'm sorry, I had to throw it in there. But you guys might know who they are. Both five stars, both top ten guys. They're in in the league now. They're in the league now. Exactly. Exactly. Giants and Packers respectively. But, coming back to New York. I wrote an article on this in the summer. Check it out. OrangeFizz.net Syracuse is so bad at recruiting in the state of New York. I know the talent cupboard is pretty dry. there's only 15 to 20 kids that could play college ball and maybe 10 of those that could play at Syracuse and, and be you know successful in the classroom and on the football field and you know, in the social life as well at Syracuse. But well, yeah because Jalen
1: uh, Jalen Moss he was supposed to come right. to Syracuse I, don't and know.
2: I asked Dino Babers what the deal was with that no answer.
1: He, so. He's going to Juco. That's what he's doing. He's going to JUCO. So, I mean, that either means that he wasn't ready for the big stage of Syracuse or his academics didn't all turn out. So, you hate to see it, but it
2: happens. That's my big gripe, though, with the program. I think Shiano does a great job recruiting in state. Syracuse, on the other hand, doesn't do well in its own home state. The talent that is there goes elsewhere. Like places, places like Rutgers. Think of Moses Walker. You may know him as the guy that faked out Penn State with his commitment video and chose Rutgers over Penn State, which you wouldn't, you wouldn't really see that happening the past couple of years. But that, um, So I'm saying, Rutgers is coming back. Rutgers is resurging under Greg Schiano, and I think Syracuse needs to do the same in its own state if it wants to get better. I will throw out this, though. Dino Babers and, and staff have done a great job of recruiting the South, Florida specifically. I think every single year that Babers has been here, Florida has been their best state. They pull the most guys out of that state. So I can't complain with that too much. I, the Sunshine State is stocked full of 200 college guys that can play.
1: I mean, there are just numerous guys that they pick out of Florida. Whether it's IMG, I love that Dino's able to go into IMG and get guys. Cisco, Mikhail Cisco, Jones and G- the list going to go on. And because on. those those guys, you constantly hear whenever Dino or anybody else talks about them, all you hear is professional. They treat college like it's just another stepping stone to the professional the professional pathway. They work their butts off from start to finish, and they both play from day one.
2: Exactly. A lot of playing time. They can't. It just goes in the league. He was here for three seasons. Came in, did his thing. He's out. He's on the Jaguars team. It's just great. It's a good thumbprint to have. And now you see guys like Deuce Chestnut come in. You mentioned the three factors before. He's got an opportunity for early playing time. He's got an opportunity to get some money in NIL because I think he's going to be one of the best players on the Syracuse team. If not this year, definitely going forward. And what was the last factor again? Tradition. Tradition, that's right. Obviously, Syracuse has a long... Tradition of winning in the '90s and the early 2000s, and I think to try trying to get back to that.
1: The tr- it's not even the tradition of that; it's the tradition of getting defensive backs here and recently. Out. Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. It's like it's kind of forming into a bit of a DBU. Not all time, but recently, it's really hard to argue with that. Syracuse has done a great job with its defensive backs the past couple of years, and should only get better under Tony White in the three-three-five. Now, I want to flip it over to Rutgers' side of things. A couple of key recruits that they stole. From the state of New York, I mentioned Moses Walker before. He's on. He's a 2021, so he's not going to have a, a big impact this season, but perhaps in the next two to three. Uh, Ola o, Ola Kunle Fadakasi who we mentioned in an earlier. Yeah, we segment. got we
1: got the name figured there out during the break.
2: There we go. I stumbled a little bit. We're working on it. Uh, of course, he was one of the best defensive linemen in the Big Ten, one of the best defenders in the Big Ten. You're going to see him making a lot of plays today when Syracuse faces Rutgers at two o'clock in the dome for the home opener. On the other side, moving back to the secondary, you also got Christian Izian, who's a defensive back for the Scarlet Knights, and he's been a he's been a stout member, uh, a, a couple, a multi-year member, I will say, in that secondary group, and he's a guy that will make plays and try to negate Syracuse's ability to get the aerial attack going. Now, Izian, I don't think is as big of a loss because, like I just said, like we just said, the defensive backs have been very good for Syracuse, especially the past couple of seasons. But still, you hate to see your in-state guys going to other Northeast programs like Penn State, like West Virginia, and like Rutgers.
1: So we've talked a lot about football recruiting, but there's also a little bit of basketball recruiting news out there because J.J. Starling on Thursday night released his top five schools. And by by now, everybody probably knows who Starling is. Four-star guard, Baldwinsville native. He's now playing at La Lumiere out in Indiana. But his top five, Syracuse, Northwestern, Stanford, Notre Dame, and Duke. Really unique list. I mean, this is not something where he wants to go to the Blue Bloods of all Blue Bloods. A lot of schools with great academic reputations, places where Starling could be the main guy. And that's what Syracuse, I think, is really trying to sell him on. And probably Stanford, Northwestern, Notre Dame doing the same exact thing.
2: Great guy, great student, great player, a lot of opportunity, especially at Syracuse. So for the Orange, what does this mean? It's good that you make Starling's top five. It's a guy that really you need to get, especially after Kamari Lance's decommitment. That was a big surprise, by the way. Yeah. It really caught me off guard. Yeah, You need to add another member to this class. It's kind of funny how the discussion changed in the matter of two to three weeks. Oh, yeah, the class is good. Kamari Lance, Justin Taylor, Kadir Copeland, maybe you add one more guy, maybe Peter Carey. Now that's not the case. Now you need, I think you need J.J. Starling to be added to this class. This guy you have to have. You can't let him go to Duke Duke's got the lone crystal ball prediction right now. A lot of the insiders think he could end up there. So for Syracuse, it's good that you made the top five. Obviously, you still got some work to do. It's a guy you gotta have. Yeah,
1: I mean, you can't let him follow the Kyle Filipowski route, where you kind of work Syracuse in there, make everybody feel good, and then you're out. You're down to Durham with John Shire and company. But those other choices, maybe, maybe Stanford. I could see him going to Stanford because that's a place where he could be a lead guard. Uh, maybe with Issa Silva, but still lead guard from day one. And I mean, obviously he would, he would start at Notre Dame. Probably he would definitely start at Northwestern. Um, I, I just the I
2: coaches seem to have a a reason to believe he will start in early at Syracuse, though. They're yes, saying they want yes, to go yes, guard yes, heavy but, in this class because but, a lot are graduating.
1: I I completely understand that, but like, why go to Northwestern? Right. Like, what what is there at Northwestern really? Like, besides. No tradition, academics, really, especially recently. What What is going on at Notre Dame besides being a, in the bottom half of the ACC and not making the tournament? I, I really don't understand those two. And also, if we're talking about NIL, yeah, maybe there's a bit of intrigue at Northwestern, but there is nothing. Yeah, all the, all the national
2: championships they've yeah, won. Yeah,
1: there's North nothing at Notre Dame for basketball players. That is a football school through and through. And Mike Bray's a cool dude, but that program's not going to be very successful. Stanford, eh, maybe good academics, maybe some opportunity out there, but honestly, change of
2: scenery too. Yeah,
1: but but UCLA is the basketball school of California, yeah, and yeah. that's never going to change. So so
2: is this a Duke Syracuse? I
1: would I would say it's Duke Syracuse, maybe Stanford, but I I mean it, it's going to come down to whether Sterling wants to stay home. That's that's really the the
2: final straw. Of course, he's from Baldwinsville, which is in Central New York, right outside. The dome and right outside Syracuse, a hometown guy. I think it's also going to come down to Syracuse and Duke, and we'll see when that decision is made. But I don't know. After Kamari lands decommitment, I'm feeling a little bit more confident in Syracuse that they can get this job done and lock up this star-studded class. Well,
1: we'll see what happens with Starling. According to Syracuse.com, he should make that commitment sometime in October. Of course, we will be covering it all the way up to the date at orangefizz.net or at orangefizz on Twitter. After the break, we're going to have a special guest and our very own Matt Bonaparte tuning in with Rutgers' play-by-play announcer to break down the Scarlet Knights even more. And then we'll be back, Ian Unsworth, John Aides with Fizz Feedback. You're listening to Fizz Radio on The Score 1260.
3: Back with you for another edition of the SU Football Season Preview. I'm Matt Bonaparte today with Syracuse's next opponent on the schedule. That's Rutgers. Chris Carlin, the play-by-play man, is here with me. Chris, thanks so much for taking the time with me today. Happy to do it, Matt. How are you? I'm phenomenal. Uh, let's hop right into it, Chris. When you became the play-by-play broadcaster of Scarlet Knights football, it was Greg Schiano at the helm. Of course, in 2012, Schiano made the move to the NFL, grabbing a head coaching gig with the Buccaneers, then after some time made his way to the Patriots as a defensive coordinator in 2019. How does it feel to have him back in Piscataway with a lot of new experience under his belt?
0: You know, it's it's really great to have Coach Schiano back. I think you have already seen the, the impact that he can make, and it's, it's, it's rare that you can get someone with such incredible institutional knowledge walking in. It's almost like you, I mean, you talk about hitting the ground running. You can do it with uh, having a chance to be a couple of steps uh, ahead of the game for, than for any other new coach. And I, I think we saw that in terms of the results last year to see Rutgers take a step forward Uh, win three conference games all all on the road, which was just remarkable. And in less than ideal circumstances, you know, find their way through the season without missing any games related to COVID or even having any rescheduled. Um, All the way around, I think you saw a lot of that early experience pay off as far as Greg being at Rutgers. And now... um, You have the chance in year two to really get going, and I think they've got some excellent positive momentum
3: going. Yeah, you mentioned last season it was his first season back after 13 years. Uh, with the team and the three and six record last year, I don't think really tells the full story. It was a win over Michigan state to start the season followed by four straight losses, but of them, two were against top 20 opponents in which they were able to score upwards of 20 points. They also end up beating Purdue and Michigan. Like you mentioned down the stretch. Do you think this team is better than its most recent record?
0: Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I think your, your record is always what you say it is, right. Or what is really I'm not phrasing that right, but you are what your record says you are. so with that being the case, uh, I understand that I think they' I think that they have taken a big step forward where you look at where they were in 2019, especially offensively because you know you had a team that in conference games in 2019 scored a total uh, you know scored seven points a game and in um in in big 10 play that is and then this past year 27 a game you took a major step forward and i think that was really the biggest difference the fact that you were able to get the ball in some playmakers hands you were able to really improve you were able to um give your defense more of a rest as well which was such a huge factor and i think with all of that being the case um there was there was some
3: major improvement from the previous year, which is what you needed to see. Yeah, and to dive a little bit into the offense, quarterback Noah Vigil is back in Piscataway for the 2021 season. In 2020, he was okay, just over 1,200 yards, nine touchdowns to eight interceptions, completing 62% of passes. He has his most prominent weapon returning, that's Bo Melton, as well as Kansas State transfer Josh Youngblood joining the program. How much do you think Rutgers' aerial attack improves in 2021, if at all? I
0: think it's definitely going to improve. I mean, Noah has separated himself as the starter uh, for this team coming into the year. Um, and I think with with him, you look at a guy that was a starter at Nebraska for a bit and really came in, learned an entirely new system, and now gets a second year uh, in that system. Consistency just so important uh, in that regard. So getting him back and getting a lot of his personnel back, you're returning all 22 starters. That that doesn't happen. And obviously a big part of that is because of COVID, but you return guys who um, have played with each other and understand uh, what everybody's thinking when, when they're doing it. And you're getting a couple of more additions. You mentioned Josh Youngblood, a guy who's very dangerous in the return game as well. I mean, between he and Aaron Crookshank, you have two guys – and and Bo Melton, who can just absolutely break the door open at any point. So I think for Noah, that's all going to be exceptionally important. But just um, being in Sean Gleason's offense for the second consecutive year, that'll go a long way, too
3: and as for the ground game vigil can get it done as well but he's not as dangerous as isaiah pacheco in 2020 pacheco averaged four and a half yards per carry 515 on the ground in the past we've seen this rutgers offense be vastly geared toward the running the ball in 2020 that was the case but i'd say less so than what recent history tells us what kind of damage do you expect pacheco to deal out this year
0: listen you want to spread the offense out and run the football with a guy like isaiah pacheco and they have terrific depth at that position you know um, kyle Manungay has really come along Um, they've they've put themselves in a good spot there Um, aaron young has been a big part of it as well so with isaiah I, i don't think it's a it's a pass first offense i think that's one of the misnomers with the spread um the spread is there to make sure every part of the field has to be accounted for by the defense and thus it can make it um a little bit more uh manageable to run the football in that and i think that's what they they want to do when they have somebody like isaiah there
3: and defensively, Rutgers isn't the strongest unit. The Scarlet Knights gave up 449 yards per game last year, as well as 32 points per game. Though like Syracuse, they have been, they've had a knack for forcing turnovers and making big hits. They were top 20 in the nation with 19 forced turnovers and top 30 with 71 tackles for loss last season. There's plenty of individual talent on this roster, such as Christian Izian in the secondary, along with Mike Tverdov and Mohamed Torre in the front seven. Why is it that you think they struggle as a unit?
0: You know, I I don't know that I would characterize it that way. I think it's an aggressive unit that, um, you know, again, you have to continue to get better. And I think they did that um, as the year went along. Forcing turnovers is so massive. It's so important. And I don't think they worry about yardage as much as they worry about keeping points off the board. And, you know, 32 It's not a number that you want. You want that number down in the 20s if you can. And I think they will improve in that. But, you know, the turnovers is just the biggest thing. And considering where they had been the last few years before that, to be, you know, plus for the season, I think they finished a plus five, um, was just incredibly important. And uh, the defense being so good at taking the ball away last year was – a massive part of that. And look, when you're aggressive, you're going to give up some yards. When you're trying to make plays, you're going to give up some yards. That's going to happen. And I think you see that when you have as many tackles for loss as you do.
3: And Chris, this game comes on the 20th anniversary of 9-11, of course. That brings emotions out of every player and fan. What kind of impact do you think it applies to this matchup?
0: You know, listen, it's hard to believe it's been... 20 years since then, it was, um, you know, just at Rutgers, I, I remember it vividly because it was Greg Chiano's first year. And it was, um, you know, it, it was a time where a lot of people in the Rutgers community, just as with across the country, were uh, affected deeply and personally by it. Um, it's just one of those days that's always going to have an incredibly special significance with the people, the brave people that we lost on that day. And um, more than anything, I think the significance of it is just to remember those um, first responders, passengers on flights, people who, who gave their lives that day. And um, so many of them who were trying to make a difference, trying to save people uh, in the World Trade Center and, pentagon everywhere where it's it's just so hard to even calculate the facts or or be able to make sense of the fact that the day even happened uh, let alone that it was 20 years ago
3: absolutely chris thank you so much for taking the time with me today if you want to follow chris head over to twitter at chris carlin for more of our coverage go to orangefizz.net or at orangefizz on twitter i'm matt bonaparte see you next time
1: We're wrapping it up on Fizz Radio. Ian Unsworth, John Eads with you guys, and also a big thank you to Matt Bonaparte for speaking with Chris Carlin on an episode of Summer School. That's on the Fizz Radio SoundCloud, also on OrangeFizz.net. But it's time for everyone's favorite segment, Fizz Feedback. We got the Twitter poll questions out at OrangeFizz.net. And, John, we're going to get right into it. So, first question. We didn't really discuss this that much, but I think it's worth touching on. Dino Baber said, two-quarterback system. He's still insistent that Garrett Schrader is going to play. How much do we see of Garrett Schrader today? We don't, A, he gets one or two drives, he gets a quarter, or he takes over mid-game.
2: I think we don't see him at all. I think Tommy DeVito did enough against Ohio to prove that he'll be the starting quarterback, There's no reason to pull him out of the game if he's playing well. Well,
1: 13% of Fizz Nation agreed with you. 49% said that Schrader would get one or two drives. Maybe it's a blowout, or maybe he just needs to get in there to change up the rhythm of the football game. But Fizz Nation is of the opinion that Garrett Schrader gets a little bit of juice. 22% said he takes over mid-game. Second question, what's the biggest storyline? of this football game? Is it Greg Schiano versus Syracuse, the recruiting implications, the quarterback battle, or stopping the Rutgers run?
2: Gosh, none of those three really feel that important to me, but the one that does is the recruiting battle. I think this game is going to tell recruits, fans, and really everybody that watches which program is in a better spot right now, so it's got to be a win for Syracuse.
1: You hit the nail on the head. 45% of Fizz Nation said reclu- recruiting implications are the biggest storyline of this football game. Last but not least, who wins and by how much? Syracuse by 3-7, to seven, Syracuse by less than 3, Rutgers by 3-7, to seven, or Rutgers by more than 7?
2: Going Rutgers by more than 7, 31-20 is what I have, Scarlet Knights beating the Orange
1: out. Ooh, wow. Only 22% of Fizz Nation, and I'd say they're biased for, for good reason, said that Rutgers wins by more than 7. 54% had Syracuse winning by the three to seven margin. I'd love to see it. Still think it's gonna happen. I have Rutgers as well, twenty-eight to twenty-seven. You can read the explanations for both our predictions on our website at orangefizz.com. Also, follow us on Twitter at OrangeFizz for the latest on everything Syracuse football and basketball recruiting and the like. We got you covered. That'll do it for Fizz Radio. For John Eads, I've been Ian Unsworth on the Score 1260. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the game later today, and go Orange.